Hello and welcome to this week's episode, in which we will be comparing the 2019 film Longshot to the original screenplay Flasky written by Dan Sterling, which made the blacklist in 2011 and then was extensively rewritten over the following years before the film finally went into production. This is an interesting case study, as a romantic and political comedy during one of the biggest moments of cultural and political upheavals in modern American history, the transformation of Flasky into Longshot gives us a sense of the priorities and challenges facing comedy writers in these times. As usual, we will cover the full scope of the film, including key plot points and the ending, comparing the scenes and jokes, characters and themes from the original script to the final version. Thank you so much for choosing to support our show by downloading this episode. I really hope that you find this episode useful and informative. The 21st Rewrite is a podcast for story lovers and storytellers, and we truly appreciate your support. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to The 21st Rewrite, the podcast about screenplays and the process of writing them. I'm William Coldwell, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Alan Vasquez. And today we're going to be reviewing a different type of film that we haven't really touched on, which is actually really cool. Longshot, which is written by Dan Sterling and Liz Hanna, directed by Jonathan Levine, and it stars Charlie Theron and Seth Rogen, and it just literally came out a few months ago. So it's a very, very new new film, but actually it's a script that had been around for a little while. Liz Hanna actually changed a lot of the script. So it's I wouldn't call it an adaptation of the script because it's pretty much the same story to an extent, but it is very different. It's a complete makeover, I think. Mm-hmm. So the history of this project is that it was Dan Sterling's script. For the listener who's not too familiar with Dan Sterling, he wrote The Interview. Yes. Which also starred Seth Rogen alongside James Franco. Yes. And caused a lot of controversy due, due to the reaction of the North Korean. Kind of almost started so, a war. Yeah. <laughs> if you really want to. Yeah. And, possibly. And possibly. the filmmakers, and I believe it was distributed by Sony, the, mm-hmm. they were loving the publicity they were getting out of that. Until they got hacked. True. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he wrote this before the interview. He's been in the tv comedy world for a while his first job was on south park in the late 90s he worked on the sarah silverman show and the office yeah so this was a screenplay originally called flasky which is the name of the main character is fred flasky Mm -hmm. and we'll be looking at this it it did get a um a full script reading in 2014 at the austin film festival as well Mm -hmm. which perhaps was kind of related to the fact that he was getting a lot more attention based on the film, The Interview. Mm -hmm. But yes, in 2017, Liz Hanna is also brought into the project to after her success with writing The Post, Mm -hmm. which I believe was her screenplay originally, and then Josh Singer, Mm -hmm. who we know from First Man now. Josh Singer also worked on that one. So as far as I... I've seen all Liz Hanna's screenplays are actually her co-writing with someone else. Mm. So it's a post long shot and her newest film coming out as well as co-written. With that said, I still think it's quite clear to find where her voice is in this screenplay and in, in watching the film. It's quite clear where uh, yeah. Dan Sterling's original idea comes from. 
Mm-hmm. And it's also quite clear where the Seth Rogen influence is coming in as well yeah. in a lot of the scenes. Um, you can certainly see throughout the project how this character of Fred Flasky has been changed from the original conception to just being another Seth Rogen in a way. Mm-hmm. I think that actually really helped. Perhaps the original Fred Flasky was a little bit dislikable originally. That's interesting. I, yeah. I found him, I found the original script. I really liked the original script. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I thought I'm it was, be, I thought it was yeah. really good. I think, I think they're both good. This is one of those cases where I couldn't quite, I mean, I, I think the film is great. And I think what, and especially in a comedy, what really makes a good comedy is who you cast. Because unlike a drama, it's solely dependent on the actors selling jokes because a comedy has to make you laugh. That's a trickier thing to pull off than making someone cry. I think as an audience, the same things tend to make people cry. There's a universal thing there, but humor is very specific. You know, what makes one person laugh might not necessarily make the other person laugh. I feel like it's harder to write a comedy than it is to write a drama, and you really got to have a good handle on timing and that is kind of solely dependent on the actors in my opinion i might even go a little bit further with your point as well Mm -hmm. which is that writing a comedy also is affected by the times and we can see that from the original screenplay flasky written in 2011 Mm -hmm. up until long shot released in 2019 Mm -hmm. there has been quite a big change in what American culture now finds funny and acceptable and what Mm -hmm. is now considered off-limits and offensive. Mm -hmm. I don't think the original screenplay of Flasky necessarily had anything that was too offensive in there, Mm -hmm. but there is still a strong sense that Longshot was updated for 2019. Yeah, definitely. And I think Liz, she came on board after Charlie Theron came on board she worked for Charlie Theron's production company. That's correct, yeah. So there was a bit of, um, I, I think there was like a very intentional, because this was like around after Trump got elected president, so obviously politics changed and there's a completely different climate. So it suddenly became a much more progressive film. And there's definitely little nuances in the film that kind of touch, like you say, it's about the times. And I think a comedy has to do that too as well. Mm-hmm. And just to add to that, it's also the romantic comedy element of Mm -hmm. it. Strangely, this project was almost a little bit ahead of its time in in its original form. Mm -hmm. Because I think Dan Sterling had identified already that what made these comedies, the underdog comedy, work and what part of the cliche he was able to bring into the modern view mm. of this, we're only going to focus on screenplays written since the year 2000. Right. But in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. you could get away with a lot more humor about, um, I'm thinking, Anchorman. I'm thinking of those kind of comedies where it's him getting the girl and all it really is based on is attraction. There's been a new reevaluation of what power dynamics are. Mm-hmm. And I think by having this female character who is higher up in the chain of power in the Mm -hmm. country. She's a politician, she's secretary of state, she's the fourth most important official in the United States. Right. And 
it will always put Fred on a slightly lower footing than her. She can literally have him yeah. removed from whatever building he's in and put in a helicopter and taken away with her or whatever it needs to be done. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that, that that was worked into the script in a way so that we we don't have any unbalance in what's going on. Mm. What I really like about the the film is that it doesn't feel like it has an agenda, like a feminist agenda. Because sometimes I feel like when you can sense that in a film, it kind of turns you off from the story where it feels like mm-hmm. it's just like a vehicle to project ideas or to project a movement. The politics are actually secondary in this film. Yeah. And I think that has always played to its advantage. Mm-hmm. In the original version as well charlotte is more focused on women's rights and she wants that to be her legacy Mm -hmm. and in long shot she's focused on the environment Mm -hmm. which i think helps a lot of the politics underlying this the film are actually more about bipartisanship about actually finding common ground between republicans and democrats yeah that was surprising and Mm -hmm. the environment is actually something that most people are on board with Except for big business. Yeah. Most people are either ambivalent about it or they're really passionate about it, but no one is pro-destroying the environment. Right. Right. Of course. Of course. That's a good point. Like you said, the story was between these two characters. It wasn't the politics was just a the the sort of backdrop in which this story takes place. And I think it was um, Judd Apatow who I heard him say somewhere that when writing a comedy, the key to that is that you're not writing funny. You're not writing, oh, what would make a funny scene? Or, well, you know, you're writing like as if you were writing a drama. You're writing a story. You're writing conflict. You're writing characters. And then then you add the humor. You see where the humor can elevate the story. And I think this is kind of an example of that. It's not just one funny set piece and then there's another funny set piece. It always kind of organically comes out of the story and out of the characters and i think that's what a good comedy writer does it's not trying to be funny i think it just uses its characters to make fun of the characters themselves oh especially um seth rogan's character there's a scene that i think really illustrates that point which Mm -hmm. is the scene where they go out in paris and both take molly yep and that could be called a set piece Mm -hmm. but it feels natural because you're watching Charlotte and Fred get themselves pushed into a corner. Yeah. They have to be more and more secretive about their relationship, mm-hmm. mainly because the aides that are around Charlotte are concerned about how it will affect her public image. They want her to be dating the Prime Minister of Canada mm-hmm. because it would poll better. Because, <laughs> it was brilliantly yeah. played by Alexander Skarsgård. It's mm-hmm. so funny. <laughs> his like Canadian accent is I don't know if he was doing a bad on purpose probably but it was just it was really hilarious yeah but yeah that scene for example it makes sense in the character's worlds that yeah she finally wants to break out and do something that she should have done probably when she was 19 mm-hmm. and in fact because she's been repressing that side of herself so much in order to get to the position she's in as a politician mm-hmm that it has to come up now when she's... 38. 38, exactly. Uh, so like yeah. it's, it's like this late adolescence. Mm-hmm. And so even though it could seem like a set piece, it actually is quite clearly put in 
as something for the character to explore where those boundaries are mm-hmm. and then have to deal with the situation, the the inevitable fallout of yeah. doing that while in, in a position of political power. Definitely. Responsibility. Definitely, because I feel like it was also a very earned scene because it is one of my favorite scenes from the film. But not just because it's funny, but because we get to know her a little bit more. We get to see another different side of her. And we we earned that scene because of what had happened the scenes prior to that. You know, she kind of hit a new low. And obviously, I think it's a very relatable human thing that when you hit these bottoms, like you find anything for escape. And she found hers. Well, she wanted to smoke a Molly, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, uh, sent Fred to to go get it. But no, that was one of my one of the funniest scenes from the film. And you know, I'm kind of in, in reading the script. It's a little bit different than reading a dramatic script in a way because you know I'm thinking, okay, so what's the inciting incident? What is the uh, you know? It kind of I don't know about you, but it, it just stopped paying attention to it as much, and it was just more. I feel like it's more focused on the characters and the interactions between the characters. Mm-hmm. It really is about the relationship between the the two of them. And it could have easily not gone really well because, you know, they're, they're kind of the odd couple. You have, you know, Charlie Stern, who's beautiful. And then, I mean, Seth Rogen, like they're not really aesthetically something you would see as like a, a normal couple. But just like the chemistry they had and the writing was really good too, you know, just like the whole, I think the whole idea of they knew each other from childhood. She was his babysitter. And that's also in the original script too. That part wasn't changed. I think they just upped the ages a little bit. Just that simple fact kind of sold the idea that she would approach him. Because anyone from childhood, no matter how successful you are, I think that would call you back a little bit and you would kind of lower your defenses a little bit. So I think that was really good writing too, just having that backstory for the two of them. Mm-hmm. I, I think there isn't so much of a need to have an entirely original story. Mm-hmm. The story will work perfectly well by sticking to more or less a standard structure mm-hmm. and then adding in some original elements just to keep it fresh. Mm-hmm. And that's all you really need for a comedy. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. You can stick to... I guess what the audience's expectations of the genre are going to be, yep. but not stick too closely to them. Otherwise, they'll say, seen this before, mm-hmm. it's boring. And that that was the initial reaction to the trailer of Longshot was, oh, it's another rom-com about this guy, he's a loser, and he's going to get this beautiful girl. We've all seen it before. And yeah, I think it really that, isn't that. No, I think when when you mentioned you wanted to do this film, I was like, well, that's a little surprising. But I had heard that it was good. So, but I do remember watching the trailer and thinking like, eh, I think that's maybe why it didn't do such a good job or didn't do well at the box office because it didn't do well at all. Like it didn't, people didn't go out to see this film. I will recommend it to people because I think it's 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 really funny. Like it's a really funny film and it's actually very layered and nuanced and. I think the trailers just did a disservice to the film. I think they could have marketed it a little bit better. There genuinely haven't been that many great feature film comedies mm-hmm. in the 2000s. So I think we're we're talking about about a dozen at most. Luckily, some of them are actually from this year. Mm. Uh, I would say Booksmart as well is another one. That I haven't seen is, that one. I hear it's good, though. Yeah. 
really great. Yeah. And I think it's because we've we finally struck this balance between we're no longer telling the same story over and over again. Mm-hmm. And we're also not just gender swapping it. At the heart of this particular story, there's these two people who are genuinely right for each other. It's not that he's attracted to her just because she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's not that she's attracted to him just because of his looks or his intelligence. It's just about purely what's within and mm-hmm. the fact they seem to be able to reawaken some of that spark of youth and idealism and mm-hmm. and the the dreams they had when they were younger. And then they complement each other. So mm-hmm. they're not the same person. They're very different, but they complement each other. He has so much he can bring into her life and she has so much she can bring into his life. And I think that's where the sweet spot is. That's, yep. that's all you really need from the, the rom-com genre, but it had fallen into this tired formula yeah. of they're not meant to be together, but they will be, or you mm-hmm. know, something that wasn't too original. Yeah. I think a lot of the originality in this is very understated and it just mm-hmm. as an audience it's easy to just be drawn into the world and just accept it because it, it feels like this parallel universe that, mm-hmm. and but it feels familiar to us. It's it's definitely meant to simulate something about mm-hmm. things we're seeing in the headlines nowadays and things that are Yeah, it's very clever with uh its social commentary and political commentary. I think um there were certain jabs of um women also being misogynistic. There's little hints of that. Um Lisa Cutrow's character, for example. Mm-hmm. One of the anchors in that that uh, new show, they would always be making these like sexist jokes, and she would kind of just oh, go along yeah, the, with it. The Wembley news, yeah. Yeah, and then she would just kind of go along with it until at the very end she just had enough. But it it shows because we we know those people in real life. We know who the, they're not saying who they are in the film, but we as the audience can can reflect back to real life and see who those people are in the public eye. And I think going back to one of the things that I thought was also really cool is that they're very different, but they're also very similar. I think their morals is kind of what unites them a little bit. They both genuinely want to make a, a, a good change, I think is kind of what really makes that connection for the both of them. So it's a little bit deeper than just like, you know, their their shared history or their sense of humor. They actually have this passion for doing the right thing and that is shown um, not just in her character, but also in Fred's character. And actually, the first thing that we we have in the film showcases that, where he's, well, he's an undercover in a white supremacist group, mm-hmm. which is a really funny scene. And you know, he's about to get this tattoo of a swastika, and uh, it shows to me the length that he's willing to go to report something that needs to be reported. Yes. And the risks that he takes. So this is quite a big thing mm-hmm. nowadays. There's There's been a lot of attention on this since, um, mm. s- since the Charlottesville protests. Right. It's immediately something that the majority of the audience can get behind. It's just him against vile extremists. It's easy to know who to root for in that scene. Right. And it feels modern. It feels up to date because of the relevance of this 
I like the way that the opening is filmed. It feels like it's another film. It almost feels like there's a different kind of production value in that opening scene. So oh, you feels, mean because of the stunts and yeah, the yeah. him jumping through the the window that looked really real, huh? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, like him him surviving that fall and everything. And then mm. okay, after that scene, we're kind of in the the real world of the mm -hmm. film, but we we accept this and it happened as yeah. part of the story. One thing I I did want to talk about just before we really get into this is that um. The film critic at The Atlantic, David Sims, I was reading his review of this as well, and mm. he, he pointed out that it's girls can be as gross as boys, and uh, there's there's a lot of jokes in this film that are just about being gross out. The video, for example, the video that's, about, that's going to be released of Fred. I think the one thing I'd like to just establish before we talk about all of these scenes is that having read the original blacklist script now i'm much more conscious of the material that the screenwriters were working with and that a lot of the decisions that seem to be made are actually in order to improve something or at least in their minds it was an improvement of something mm -hmm. that was in the original script so the video for example my example for that would be originally in the script it's charlotte it's a video in which she sent a, an intimate video right. to, to Fred. Right. And this is going to be leaked to the press and it's going to humiliate her. Mm -hmm. And that is what in the culture nowadays would be called slut shaming. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't fit. But slut shaming Fred, it's just funny. It's just funny to watch this guy getting out his creams and you know setting his, up his laptop his and, wine <laughs> yeah his wine and he's and that he's watching so his funny. girlfriend on the tv <laughs> and it's so you see do you see yeah. what i mean yeah and yeah I totally so get what, you're what they're doing is they're actually taking something that was in there and they thought hmm this might be problematic but what can we do with it mm -hmm. and this initial scene with the white supremacists is in the original blacklist script as well mm -hmm. but it's fred in in a bar and he's drinking and he overhears some guys who are the characters are just called meathead one and meathead two right. i think but they're saying some homophobic racist things which were kind of funny <laughs> i mean and like it's the same vibe but it's, mm -hmm. it's it's one of those things where like it's just so dumb but it's just really funny to hear people talk like that yeah because you know that there are people who would be so openly blatant about it right in a public place right but what happens is he confronts them and he mm -hmm. fights them mm -hmm. and it's it just seems a little what I, it seems too obviously set up to right. try and make the audience like him is what i'm saying and when we take this scene and we say okay so they've now set it as this is related to his reporting now mm -hmm. he's not going out of his way to just fight some guys who said some slurs He's actually trying to report on this as a genuine issue. It shows he cares about his job. Right. He cares about the truth. He cares about justice. He wants to make sure that the world yeah. is a, a better place through the work that he does. Mm -hmm. So do you see what I mean? Yeah. So I don't think that everything that's problematic in the film is necessarily 
I think it's it's always been everything that's in the film is always based on trying to improve something from the original script. Also, you know, talking about the beginning, what what I will say also is that the character of Fred in the script is a little darker. He's almost suicidal. He is in a very very dark place, and I think actually in the in the beginning scene, I don't think he actually wants to fight them. I think he just wants them to beat him up. I think it's kind yeah. of like a, I think it's kind of like a. Self-punishment. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, how is he going to take on these five meatheads? And I think in the script, like, speaking of the beginning, you know, about the differences, you know, in the original script, we actually start with Charlotte's character. And she's in a actually a very funny scene where she's with her. Yeah, this is a great scene. It starts with interviews. Yeah. So you're, you've got these talking heads, um, some interviews with some members of the public and there's right oh the quote is fantastic but it's uh i think the second person that's interviewed is a frat boy oh i think i remember yeah frat guy he says to be honest i'd like to f- <laughs> yeah to be honest i'd like to fuck her until her eyeballs pop out <laughs> but that's based on looks and personality <laughs> Um, uh, and just just for some context, so she's married in the original script, mm-hmm. and yep. they're at a. I think that's a very important change as well. Yeah, so they they made her single in this one. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily better or worse. Like I said, this is one of those changes in a script where I feel like they're just both equally, in my opinion, they're both equally well crafted, well done. I just think the one thing I will say is that it is more for our times. It's more updated in terms of reflecting where we are at in politics and the way we see each other in how we see women. Uh, I think that's how it's kind of catered a little bit more to the times that we are living in. But I think in quality of script and quality of writing, I think they're both about the same in my opinion. I think they're both really well done. That is another good point to be talking about early on, seeing as we're talking about Charlotte and how she's established, it's established very quickly that she's married. Yeah. I think by page two. Mm-hmm. And it just adds these new complications. The same story is there with the Canadian prime minister. Mm-hmm. It's There's a suitor that's wrong for her, that her career in politics would lead her to being with this guy. Mm-hmm. And in the original s- script, She's already with that guy. Right. She's with this other guy who's, he's called Kent, right? Kent Field. Yeah. He's been in politics just as long as she has, but they're quite competitive about it. And mm. his motivations for being in politics are much more questionable. He's not a nice guy. No. That's revealed quite quickly as well. He's very dislikable. But there are still certain sections of the audience who are completely opposed to the idea of adultery being part of the film so it is easier to just chop it out mm. from even though there's still a thing of well if if you see two characters and they're in a loveless marriage you kind of will accept it and go with it there's it's still easier to just have her be single mm. and then you don't have to include that problem i suppose yeah well in a way i guess it kind of takes focus from that and more about the relationship between the two of them but you know like i said there's some things i liked in the film more than i did in this the original script and there's some things in the original script that i liked more than in the film so you know it kind of gives and takes one of the things that 
I liked about this original script a little bit more is that it kind of does flesh out the scenes between the two of them, I feel, a little bit more, meaning there's more scenes that are longer between the two of them. And in the film, there's a bit of a montage way they go about developing their relationship in the beginning. And I always feel as a writer that always seems, mm, it can feel a little lazy, you know, just like, let's just add some music, let's just put them in different locations and you'll get the illusion that they're getting to know each other. And luckily we have two really good actors and they pull it off and I think it works really well in the film. But what I'm saying is that in the original script, there was a little bit more of a nuanced interaction between the two characters i felt in some of the scenes yeah the the extent to which you can lean on the visual medium in a format where we know that no matter how beautiful your action lines are people might skip over them and go straight to the dialogue it's it's more risky i think at the spec script level to be putting too much in the action lines even though i know Mm. that it is also a better understanding of the medium to mm. put that visual stuff in when you can tell the story without the dialogue but it's a it's a careful balancing act i think this particular opening worked really well having mm-hmm. these interviews and then having this reporter interviewing charlotte and she's getting frustrated with the interviewer she says i'm feeling what's the opposite of attacked fellated i suppose <laughs> yes it feels like you're fellating me like she's saying Everyone loves her. Right. No one's even asking her any difficult questions. And so through that kind of dialogue, we figure yeah. out immediately, oh, everyone loves this, this politician. What kind, how many people yeah, she throw these easy balls right. to politicians? It means that she's genuinely well-liked. Because she even stops the interview with, which in the script is Kitty Couric. Maybe she turned it down. That's why she's not in the film. But uh, she stops her and she's like, I need you to like, you know, ask me some challenging questions and then they go back in the air and or they go back to filming and she uh katie kirk asks asks her something like you know you're constantly in different places you know what hair product do you use to make to always look so good or something along to that effect right like it just shows that it doesn't they don't really care about that stuff and it's just really funny you know i just think that was a that was a very a part of me wishes that they would have kept some of that i i think you're completely right in saying the original script is great and it would have made a great film Mm mm-hmm and the film is great as well. So, you're, But they're two different things, mm-hmm. but based on a common origin. Yeah. They have the same basic format, the same basic characters. The characters feel the same. Uh, but like you were saying earlier, I do feel like Seth Rogen definitely, Seth Rogen did up. Yeah, um, and I think we'll see a bit of that in, in the following scenes mm-hmm. because he does lose his job mm-hmm. straight away. In the script, he goes to work for... Wembley, who is originally right. meant to be a Rupert Murdoch-like character because he's the head of this network that's very similar to Fox News. Mm. Yet the the film has Steve Bannon. So it's also trying to update it for 2019 mm. and make it more, oh, there's a darker side to the right than just Murdoch now. There's old school conservatism and then there's all this new media stuff. Mm. And... It again. It's it's not. They're just two different versions of yeah. Spaced out eight years apart, I suppose. I would just highly recommend anyone to just read the 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 script just for reading a script. I think it's a really well done script. And also in the original, 
uh, like you said, he hires Fred to work for him because he loved the way he insulted him to the point where he was starting to maybe hate himself too, uh, which is a really funny line. And in the film... It's great for exposition that because yeah. you've got these two rivals talking to each other mm -hmm. and that's great exposition early on in the, in the script. Um, like I said, the scene with the meatheads, I wasn't too thrilled about, but then I love the fact that him and Wembley go head to head straight away mm -hmm. and that's all that all has to be toned down in the film he just gets to be angry and frustrated but then ultimately it makes a lot more sense i i love the joke in the film as well which is what do you mean you're gonna quit you're gonna quit on principle and this guy doesn't even know who you are right like at least let me give you a severance package his boss is pleading yeah. with him you know and i like that element to yeah, it too that's also really good writing because it also uh, reveals the type of person or the type of character that he is that pretty much speaks volumes on his morals and his ethics and uh, just a note um i did not know andy circus was playing that character wembley yeah andy circus playing wembley i i just thought oh, i don't know that actor the whole time and then when I was doing... a lot of prosthetics? Yeah. When I was doing my research, I realized that Andy Serkis actually, yeah, went through a lot of prosthetics. Really realistic, pro not once that I think, oh, what a great... Yeah, I never noticed the prosthetics. So, well done. I thought that was great. So, yeah, in the script, Flasky, uh, it looks like Fred's going to sell out and he's going to work for Wembley. Mm -hmm. And... That would only draw your attention if you know the film anyway. I think if you're just, when this was just a script, it just looked like, oh, okay, so this is this is a new world order for him. He's he's going to have to work for this guy who he doesn't like. But actually, he's planning something. He's, he's right. planning his revenge. And then he goes off to see his friend Lance, mm -hmm. who is very different very in different. the script. I suppose there's some similarities again, but he's essentially a rich California He's living in LA, very rich businessman. Really tall, really good looking. Yep. Very happily beautiful married. Beautiful wife. Yep. And also the other thing that they changed from the script is that the whole thing was set in LA or it was like it started in LA and then yep. the setting changed to New York in the film, which kind of makes some sense. There's it, more politics, I feel, going on in New York. It than makes a lot more sense LA. In, and also for updating it as well. Mm-hmm. There's more of a Vice News vibe to Seth Rogen's character, mm. which is based in New York as opposed to what is the journalism scene in L.A. nowadays. You right. Know, it, it almost feels like, yeah, the digital media mm -hmm. swept that part away from L.A. in the years that this is meant to have, in the years between these developments. It, it doesn't seem like there's been much journalism going on. No. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. That that yeah. shift definitely helped, I think, the story in, in the political aspect. And the character of Lance is really interesting because he's so funny in the script. Like, he's, this, like you said, very successful, good-looking guy. Um, Completely deluded, but yes. in a good way. Yeah, he's just very... They, they have a bit of a bromance. I mean, Seth Rogen and... Uh, Lance in the film also have a bit of that, but it just feels like he's a little bit more goofy in some, the script. Yeah, O'Shea Jackson Jr. Mm -hmm. is Ice Cube's son. Right. So Who, that's why he looks exactly like Ice Cube. And played him in Straight Outta Compton. Yeah, I can see that some of the elements of who Lance was 
just were changed for the actor and other parts are changed dramatically he actually runs as a democratic candidate Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. in the draft script and yet it actually makes for one of the most political statements of the film later on that lance is a republican in the film yeah and that Fred has basically just never noticed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that that that's a I think that's a very relatable scene to a lot of people. Yeah. That was brilliant. Yeah, cuz I remember reading the script and I was like, wow, they're really like painting this perfect man. I wonder who they cast to to play this person. So when I saw the film, I was like, oh yeah, they totally changed this character 100%. But I think for the better too. I think it fits this story a little bit more. So one of the common tropes one of one of the important things and it it just seems to be something you can't really unravel out of the rom-com mm. but the best friend needs to be completely supportive of the main role of the main character mm-hmm. and it almost is funny once you've studied these scripts and looked at how these stories work mm-hmm. that you always need to have this best friend who is just constantly constantly supporting them driving across town to go help them get the girl every Mm -hmm. whatever it has to be they're there and i i do think o'shea jackson jr i think he did it so brilliant he was the way he's pumping up um yeah fred all the way through the film i fell in love with him in the first five minutes when he did that whole speech to his whole company about giving them the day off because he wants to you know be there for his friend that like it just he was so commanding of that scene he was great so psychologically these characters are meant to represent some something that can't be represented easily on screen is that within the individual within the the person there's going to be this this inner conflict of utter excitement falling in love, having a crush on someone. There's all this excitement and libido and drive and energy. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other side of it of, oh my God, this isn't going to work. It's going to be terrible. They're going to hate me. I'm going to embarrass myself. Mm-hmm. And so you split that out on screen into the person who is the best friend is always there and always supportive and then have the main character in conflict with that best friend saying, no, but this will happen and that will happen and trying to not face their destiny is one way of putting it right what's interesting in in long shot is that they do the exact reverse with charlotte's assistant maggie Mm -hmm. is essentially the exact opposite of lance if you watch this film again and you you watch these two characters Mm -hmm. they basically play exactly the opposite role maggie is there to constantly tell Charlize Theron's character not to be with Fred Mm -hmm. and to be that negative voice and then you have Charlotte choosing to be with him yeah choosing to ignore all the negativity choosing to to look beyond that to look beyond just the short-term ramifications for her political career Mm -hmm. and what people might think of her and so it's interesting because you have these scales that are very differently balanced. You have mm-hmm. you have the two male characters balanced out in one way and the two female characters balanced out in the exact opposite way. And then it actually, it causes mm-hmm. this entire equilibrium across the script. That's interesting. No, that's a good point. I hadn't noticed that. I think subconsciously it was there. I think also she's kind of the voice of reason. She represents the logical 
in terms of the political thing, like what makes sense for her career. I think she's kind of, um, she represents kind of the old, kind of what she's trying to get away from, you know, towards the end there. That's a really good point. And she's also played brilliantly by June Raphael. She was so funny by being so serious. There's moments where she's almost satanical. Like yes. she, she really comes across as kind of dangerous and powerful. And I, I really love that. And really cold and yeah. deadpan. But it's, it's her timing, her humor is perfect. Like the way she delivered the lines. And I think she did a great job too. I also like the bodyguard. Like when he first discovers them kissing, he has that like judgmental look and then he just walks away. Yeah, he almost um he almost steps in a little bit at times for, for Lance who yeah. can't be in those parts of the stories. He he's kind of a little bit of support yeah. for, for Flasky. Definitely. But he has to be a lot more professional. professional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But he's rooting for him. Well, let's just look at quickly how they set up how they meet as well, which I mm-hmm. think is a very important I think a lot of the middle of the film, we don't need to look in too much detail, but how we get these characters to meet is important Mm. because if you're a screenwriter and you're going to be tearing out your hair trying to think, okay, so how do I get this failed reporter in Los Angeles to meet the, the Secretary of State of the United States of America? In an organic way. In an organic way within about four pages from now. Yeah. You, you've got to do it quickly mm-hmm. as well. And that is the one weakness. I do think that's where the best usage of the rewriting happened between Flasky and Longshot is that it feels a lot more natural in Longshot. I will agree with that, yeah. In Flasky, essentially, Lance and Fred talk to each other. Fred reveals the story about how when he was younger... Mm-hmm. uh Charlotte used to babysit him. And Lance basically tells him, you should go out and get her, man. You can do it. You just have to believe it, and it's going to come true, and you can get whatever you want in life. He's so positive. And I, I do like that Fred actually, he's, I think he said something brilliant in the, in the screenplay. He says, as we get older, you're becoming more positive. I don't feel... F- <laughs> I don't feel free to hate things in front of you anymore. <laughs> and, I love that. You, you know, Lance is so hyper positive in the mm-hmm. in the script, but it essentially then he has to buy some tickets to go to an event because mm. Charlotte Field is going to be in town and Lance mm. is a millionaire, so he can buy tickets to this event and then get them in the same room as each other. Yeah. No, I completely agree. It, it, it even feels when, too forced. Yeah, even reading the script without seeing the film and knowing that it was going to be changed, I did have that thought. Like, that seems a little, a bit of a reach for him. Mm-hmm. Like, I get this guy super hyper positive and everything, but I mean, that just doesn't seem very realistic. And also, it takes longer for them to meet in the script. In the film, they kind of think they meet like twenty minutes in. I think in the script, it takes a little bit longer than that for them to actually be in the same room and talk to each other. Just for comparison, Mm -hmm. the film decides to go a completely different direction, which is that Lance and Fred are going out on the town. Mm -hmm. They're going to go to this event because boys to men are going to be there. Yeah. And it is going to be a big fancy do, but Mm -hmm. they don't know Charlotte's going to be there. Right. And it's 
when they're at this party, she looks at him and she remembers his face from mm -hmm. somewhere. And it's not going to be easy to remember that. It's, what, 20-something years have passed since they've last seen each other. Mm. Now he's he's no longer 13. He's got a beard. He's wearing glasses. Well, I think he's wearing glasses as a kid as well. But she recognizes his face, but she can't place it. And he wants to just get out of there. He's embarrassed about the incident. And that joke is... is um. Seth Rogan up a bit by the addition of the fact he got an erection while kissing her. <laughs> um, I think in yeah. in the script he touched her breast. Correct. And it's more it's seen more as kind of endearing, whereas the erection part is just embarrassing. It's yeah. just humiliating. He's a teenager. He's caught by someone else. Yeah, he's caught by her boyfriend who's actually right. there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it makes it his move even seem even more dumb in retrospect yes. as well. Yeah. So he's utterly humiliated. It's like his his greatest shame. Mm. But I I do think that version of the story works more organically. Something brought them together, just circumstances did. Maybe it's a little forced that Wembley's there as well, but it doesn't feel that way during the film. No, because it, it felt like it was like some sort of, you know, because usually in those high-profile galas, you can find all sorts of high-profile people from different types, like politics, you know, film, music, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and there is a sense that Wembley's kind of been chasing Charlotte Field for a while because he mm -hmm. wants to... He basically just wants her on his side. Right. Which would mean more compromising and losing of her own personality for, for the political gains. Correct. So... She wants to stay away from this guy. He's very toxic. In the script, this is the moment that Fred has written a speech for Wembley. And then he changes it at the last minute. So Wembley will read all these terrible things off mm. the auto cue. That was really funny. Which is also very funny. Yeah. And it's a shame. I think that part of the story did work. That, yeah. that Fred got this revenge. Well, also the fact that that's how um, Charlotte all of a sudden was just you know intrigued by Fred. The fact that he did this, because I remember in yeah, in, she when has to seek him it. out more now in the film. Like now, she's a little bit more attracted to him in a way, because you know they hate the same person, so they're kind of united by that as well. Uh, yeah, I I kind of wish they would have kept that a little bit. But one, one thing that does happen in both versions is he mm. falls down the stairs and hurts himself under different circumstances. But yes, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. And the in the original script, uh, he's just taking way too many. Was it Xanax or mm -hmm. yeah. uh, some prescription brings pills? Brings it entirely on himself. And yeah. he's just really drunk and I, he gets really anxious. I I don't want to prejudge what Dan Sterling was doing, but mm. I am very concerned about writers who treat addiction in the way that he was doing in mm. in that script. So it seems like Fred has a very serious problem um with drinking and painkillers yeah and he's he's taking so many painkillers just to numb himself to yeah. the reality of losing his job and basically as soon as charlotte has hired him he looks he's got this he's about to pop another pill and he looks at it and he's like yeah right. i'm not going to do that anymore right that's one of the troubling portrayals of addiction that it's something that people can just switch off because oh my life's going a bit better now i'm working for charlotte field 
suddenly I'm not addicted to this highly addictive prescription drug. It's it's mm. not really that simple. So I'm I'm and I also think that it could have been rem- it might not even have been removed for that reason that it was problematic. I think it's also removed because part of the Seth Rogen image is that and we see this when he goes into the White House. He's got all these drugs in his pockets mm-hmm. and he's got to take out in front of the security guards. But mm-hmm. part of the Seth Rogen image, the Pineapple Express image, is drugs are fun. Drugs are cool. He doesn't want to be associated with that side of it. Of The dark oh, side. The, yeah, this guy's addicted to pills. It's, no, this guy's got it under control. He He smokes weed to have fun. Well, he calls it his anxiety medicine. Yeah, exactly. That, you know, it's it's meant to portray a positive, useful image of drugs, mm-hmm. at least useful to this character, mm-hmm. as opposed to, yeah. I so I think I don't even think Seth Rogen would be interested in playing this character well, it, as he was written originally. Right. So that's what I, you know, going back to the one of the main differences between the characters is that in the script he's a much darker character he's in a very low point and um yeah the 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 whole addiction thing is i think would have just it felt out of place in a way because it didn't it wasn't given the attention that it should, should have been given even if it is a comedy it is a comedy and dan sterling's definitely not the first screenwriter to have ever tried to do that mm-hmm. but it just it's not necessary it, Again, updating things for 2019, mm-hmm. we're getting a much better scientific and psychological understanding of what motivates things like addiction. And I think it's a good tip to not use that lightly and not have, just in the same way we don't like to see characters written down now and it's just, this is, this is Jane. She's a stunning long-legged blonde. Hmm. We're also trying to move away from characters where it's the James Bond style character of, oh, he's he's drinking 10 whiskeys before he goes off on this secret mission hmm. and, and smoking 10 packs of cigarettes a day. It's It started to become, I suppose smoking is probably on the even further side of it. That's being hmm. seen as less and less cool for a character to, to be doing that, but... Right. There's all these other implications that people are more aware of. And yeah. There's been a lot more stories around that now. And and, and it just wouldn't fit this story, really. Like I said, yeah. Seth Rogen brings a different kind of energy to... I would imagine that would work if maybe they had cast it, I don't know, Paul Giamatti. You know? <laughs> yes. That might have... You know, that sort of very sad, dark, but still funny, kind of like sideways a little bit. Because um, that, that's an example of doing it right. You're seeing an alcoholic that it's also funny but you're also seeing the dark side of it you yeah. know what i'm saying it shows it's showing you both um i think this one didn't in the script it didn't give enough weight to the consequences for it to be you know for it to fit so i exactly. think exactly yeah it, sideways is a great example of that it's mm-hmm. a comedy that uses it very well and it's only when the character really starts to think about is this what he wants his life to be like? Does he constantly want to be screwing all these things up that he starts to make a change? Mm. Yeah. Another line from Dan Sterling, just because I've given him a little bit of criticism on on that particular item, I would like to just mention one line I really adore from his script. 
in that scene where there's the big party and everyone's vying to get Charlotte's attention. Mm -hmm. And he writes of Fred, he just can't be another suck up in this pathetic sea of ass kisses. Right. I I love that. That's just an action line. It's Mm. just saying, and I think it just really focuses our attention on, on what that's like to try and get two or three minutes with such a famous and powerful person. Mm. And in the rewriting of it as Longshot, she seeks him out. She's, she recognizes his face. She asks for time with him. Yeah. Yeah. While we see her avoiding other characters, she's avoiding the prime minister of Canada a bit and she's avoiding Mm -hmm. Wembley. So we're seeing that she's genuinely seeking him out because there's something special between them. And that's also something that was done just with a look. Like there was literally just a shot of uh, Charlie Stern looking at him and you just see that flash of like recognition and then you don't need to say more. You know, it's one of another example of like when you're writing, usually after like a few drafts, that's when you start cutting things and you start pinpointing. It's a good idea, I think, when you're when writing a script, seeing what can be taken out and can be done with a look because you got to remember that this is just a blueprint. It's not like a novel where you really have to paint a picture in the in the audience's or in the reader's imagination. You're painting their imagination in a in a script it's a blueprint for other people to come in and interpret that and bring it to life so keep in mind for screenwriters out there is that there is there will be actors coming in and sort of showcasing what it is that you're writing so you know less is more in that a look you know a glance that speaks volumes as opposed to well, this person needs to do this in order to do this, to do that, blah, blah, blah. You know, you can skip all that and just go straight to the point. And that always works better. Yeah, so I'd, I'd say after this point, there's quite a steady development into the into the meat of the story. Mm-hmm. The meat of the story is going to be these two are going to have to work together. Mm-hmm. Their feelings will develop. They'll get to know each other better. It's... um. I think this is the area of the script they could play around with all the ideas. So that's why it's so different to Mm -hmm. how it was originally written. Uh, Some of the most iconic moments are kept in, and we'll talk about those in a bit. But one big change is obviously the the nature of the politics and the type of politician that Charlotte is. We're thinking uh, first-term Obama era, politicians in mm. in the in the script so you know we we get the sense that this is someone who is being a very ambitious american politician at that time meant dealing with international crises it meant trying to be a leader at the un instead of claiming that the un shouldn't exist or <laughs> whatever right whatever might be going on right now mm-hmm. uh, so in in that sense Originally, you had most of the settings they're going to are these conflict zones. Um, so I think they go to the Sudan, they go to North Korea, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, they go to Dubai and Pyongyang. Dubai, yeah. Um, um, so they go, they're going to places that most people wouldn't go to unless they were a politician. 
And then in long shot, they're going to Buenos Aires. They're going to Lisbon. They're going mm-hmm. to Stockholm. Mm-hmm. They're going to very fancy, elegant places because she's trying to impress the other world leaders to get them on board with her environmental program. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, you get to have really when it's a comedy, you get to have a bit more fun. I think when there's less serious stuff going on. Yeah. But the terrorist attack in in the Philippines is kind of in the original script in a, in a different way. But there are some rockets going off, and the characters are in danger, and that right. allows them to get closer. So that part of it is is good the beats are there yeah i would say like it's almost like saying like the skeleton is the same but the the meat is different you know they're going like you said different places but the beats are essentially there it's it that that didn't change too much although i must say the whole sequence in pyongyang when they're in north korea uh was really funny on the script how i wonder if that might have been affected by the the interview interview. probably i mean probably I think maybe that was kind of a kernel of what Dan Sterling might have been thinking about for his next his hmm. next idea, or you know maybe he just yeah maybe he just liked that as a setting. But after you've done this film set entirely in North Korea, yeah, and with all of the issues, exactly, <laughs> came I, yeah, out of that, I, I, can, I can see why that needed to go. <laughs> totally, totally. But I, I I thought it was a very funny sequence, uh, nonetheless, in the script. Uh, but but yeah, it's essentially the same flow in the story. It's just the the the, the settings have been changed just a little bit. One big change mm-hmm. is the president. Um, oh yeah, who is played brilliantly by Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, and the this president is now he's a Trump light. He he's not he's Trump without the without the dangerous ideas. Because he's, he's essentially just a TV guy who thought being president would who be, wants to tra- who yeah. wants to uh, go into films. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. He sees being president as a stepping stone to getting into films from TV. <laughs> that is hilarious, and that that level of delusion is hilarious. Yeah, yeah it's, it it works really well. I think. Yeah, you know, he t- totally pulled it off. It's just um, it's really funny, but yeah, that was not in the original script at it, all. It works well for giving challenges to to mm. charlotte as a character as well because having an in, inept boss is always going to be challenging for whichever character you mm. have so that works really well for for this yeah 2019 update i suppose yeah in 2011 it was unthinkable that the president would be like this this guy who was a tv star and just was in it for the publicity it's it's yeah. it's amazing how much changes in eight years. Yeah, times have really changed for sure. And Bob Odenkirk is always fun to watch. So he just really brings that um, that charm to the role. And you, and you never really quite even in his most you know vile moments in the film, he's never played like a very serious villain. He always has this sort of like I don't know. You can't quite hate him. At least I didn't. I just thought it was just really funny. And that's the other thing too about comedy is how do you balance when you have this counterforce for your protagonist? Like how to the dark do you go or how serious do you go in a comedy? You know, it's like this balance. I feel like it's very challenging for a writer well, to, just, to do. Just being establishment is mm-hmm. enough when you've got 
characters who are really trying to live up to their ideals of who they should be and mm-hmm. what they should be capable of. Just having this one guy be very establishment about it, very straight to the point saying, no, it's not possible. You're going to have to cut this from the environmental bill. Right. That's all, you, that's all you really need. You don't need him to be some sort of mastermind evil president. It's right. just he's he's trying to say to her, that's not going to fly with big business. Mm-hmm. And that's enough to just put another obstacle in her way. If if all you need to do is line her path with obstacles, you don't necessarily need to go too dark if you're trying right. to keep it comedic. And then the same thing, like, yeah, not, not thinking about, like, you know, other films and the antagonists in those comedies as well. It's, the antagonists themselves are really funny. Mm-hmm. Actually, Ineptitude is an obstacle. We, true. true. We have to remember that as well. Yeah. Ineptitude is an obstacle. If you've got a boss who is simply not willing to even read the report. I think that actually comes up in the script, right? That he he only he only tells her she can't do the environmental bill three weeks after she gave him all of the information because he never got around to reading it. Yeah. So that's another obstacle. It's yeah. the fact just having someone who didn't bother to read it and then three weeks later tells you to pull the plug after you've done all of that work and all of that travel. Someone who's just really yeah. dumb in general. That's so true. And actually, a lot of the elements from this film reminded me of Love Actually, and more specifically, the storyline with uh, Hugh Grant as the prime minister and uh, how he starts having uh, a crush on his uh, secretary. Only here it's reversed. You have the woman being the the one in charge. And there, there's some similarities in there as well. And the antagonist in that film is... Um, Billy Bob Thorne, who plays the president of the United States, and he's also really funny. He does some a lot of bad stuff in order to prevent Britain do certain things, but nonetheless, uh, the character itself was funny. But you still have the obstacle, so you're right. It, it, you can't go too dark if you want to keep that balance. Yeah, I mean, go dark when you need to. Flasky, there's some very dark scenes in, I think, in the Sudan. They go to Oh yeah, and forgot about all that. these kids have been orphaned, and there's there's stuff like this in the script. There's some there's, that was like borderline really dark humor. Actually, very dark humor. There is another later incident where there is domestic terrorism in the United States. Yeah, so there's an Al Qaeda attack. I think in the White Char- House that Charlotte has to deal with. Mm-hmm. That's it's true. much better to do what the film did which is have it be a hostage crisis one soldier who's been kidnapped in iran something Mm -hmm. like that right then to be dealing with hang on another al-qaeda attack on u.s soil that's going to be terrible like (laughs) right how do you keep the comedy side up that's almost too big for 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 the tone that they're going for so uh, another thing to to point out in the differences between the original script and the film is that the tone is also a little bit different. The original script uh, tended to um, flirt a lot with dark humor, a lot of black humor elements as well as the raunchy stuff. But I think the film made the right choice in just sticking to the raunchiness and not so much going into the dark black humor because there's a, there's a very big difference in tone when you have a, a comedy that's black humor dark humor and a raunchy like sex comedy or 
of that sort. So in the original script, you have scenes where they're visiting this torched village and it's actually a really funny scene. It's like, like I said, dark humor. You have uh, Fred sort of just weeping throughout, which is really funny. It, it also kind of added to his character because he's also very, he's a very tender soul in a way. He He's, he's easily moved. And actually they kind of kept that in the film as well because I think there's a scene where they're flying over the Himalayas in the script and uh, this is the first time Fred's seeing this in his life and he starts to tear up and it kind of elicits a, an emotional reaction from Charlotte because she sees his humanity in that moment. And actually there's a very similar moment of that in the film which is when they um, they see the, the Northern Lights and very similarly he's moved by it and then she's moved by it by him being moved by it yeah essentially so i kind of like the fact that they kept that same beat but obviously the circumstances were a little different but going back to tone i think that um yeah the the, the original script definitely had a little bit more of a dark element like you were mentioning earlier the attack on the white house obviously would raise more of a serious tone it, it, it would feel a little bit of a distraction from what the story really is and i think that change really did work as well in keeping it a little bit lighter because by keeping it lighter you're a little bit more focused on the characters and you're more focused on the story as opposed to what the political implications of that would be because then now as an audience you're, you're thinking damn like what would happen if that did happen you know what would be the the reality of that and then that's a distraction from from the humor from the story from the characters exactly yeah the the story needs to stay firmly grounded with its characters i i think i referred to this before as well just the sense that when judging the final film it's interesting to look back of where things came from and think okay so that was that beat originally mm-hmm. and it was actually changed and things that we we might have wanted to have seen improved were improved mm-hmm. it's really you, you can't ever convey that and mm-hmm. you know obviously there is there's always going to be this level of expectation when mm-hmm. you go to a film but it it's just a reality isn't it it's a five out of ten isn't good enough a six out of ten isn't good enough you have to be great every single time mm-hmm. if you want people to care and to watch it the pacing is really strong in the film, in the script as well. Uh, I would yep. recommend the script as a read just to, to look at pacing. It doesn't feel like there's any like extraness in any scenes. I feel like every scene feels like it's a good scene, that it did something to either move forward in story, character, uh, and insight into something about what they're going through. There's never any dead air. You know, I, f- I do feel like you're right about pacing. The script had that as well. And um, I think the energy, when you know, when you're dealing with film, you're dealing a lot with pacing equals energy. What is it that the, the characters on screen are doing? What is the scene about? How is the scene to scene shift doing? What is that dance feeling like? And and I think the, the film really comes to life with also the actors that they got. I think that really helps the, the pacing as well. What I also think worked, sell that relationship between the two of them, not just the fact that she was his babysitter, it was the fact that they're just primal, raunchy, like just 
attraction to each other. There's this very sexual attraction between the two of them. And once that is established, which they did brilliantly, the, the actors, you don't really question, oh, well, but he's less attractive than her. Once you establish that these two people are extremely sexually attracted to each other, you don't really pay attention to that too much. You buy into it, I feel. Something that's completely overlooked and it's a lot of the time and it's completely understandable because it's an entertainment business a lot of the time mm-hmm. is that sex scenes really need to be there to say something. Mm-hmm. That's that, From a writing perspective, that is what they're there for. They're not just meant to be about getting Brad Pitt to take his top off. That might be what a producer thinks the film needs. <laughs> right. But in reality, they need to have some sort of implication for the characters. Mm-hmm. Ideally, yes. So interestingly, the two sex scenes that are in the original draft remain. So the first time they get together, it's that mm-hmm. it's all over within about 90 seconds, which yeah. was... When I saw this in the cinema, everyone was hysterically laughing at that scene. So it worked. As as a comedic moment, it worked really well. But it also tells us a lot about those two characters, I think. I think it, mm. it really reveals just how long it's been for both of them and that they feel comfortable together as well. To, yeah. For their first for their first time together to be so low pressure that they're just comfortable around each other. They know it's not like, right. oh, this is the one time. If we don't impress each other this time, mm. then, you know. And they, and they have the exact same climactic words. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is added into the film. Yeah. Oh boy, yeah, that's but, interesting though. Like I didn't know that you had seen the film already. In the yeah, in I, the saw, theater. I saw it when it came out. Got it. So that's the opposite experience that I had because I read the script first and then I saw the film. That's interesting. I didn't know. I didn't know that you had seen it before. Yeah, and then the second sex scene again. It reveals a lot about Charlotte because it reveals about how pent up she's been how she's been putting on this face to the world, Mm. being the perfect politician for so long. Mm -hmm. But she's got this playful, excited side to her as well. And that also comes out, that comes out with the scene where they take drugs. It comes out in other places, but I think when it's revealed in the bedroom is when it says a lot about her. And Fred is completely taken aback by this. He's, Mm -hmm. He's almost terrified by it because he's Mm -hmm. seeing such a different side to her that he didn't know was there and humanizes her a lot i think it just makes her a much more well-rounded character and and i think that's good i think well i'm not a woman so i really can't say too much on that but it feels more authentic and, and it kind of doesn't shy away from just you know sex between two humans and doesn't want to try to make it all pretty and try to make it all romantic it, it feels more uh, authentic to real life even though it's a comedy while it remains private i think that's important as well because in the script one of the things that happens is that everyone in the hotel is hearing this and it's very awkward for all oh, the yeah. people to work for her right the primal screams and the at one point they're wondering if it's even sex anymore or if it's something else yeah like this i think that trying to argue with her security right to say you uh, her aides are trying to tell her security mm-hmm. to go in there and stop it i feel that it's 
better to keep that as a private moment between those two characters rather yeah. than have the the humor comes from their interaction together as opposed to the humor coming from oh everyone's shocked outside the room right yeah no that feels right yeah i agree with you yeah i th- i think we can talk about kind of what the message of this story is and what i d- i don't i think we've made a lot of comparisons between yeah each version now yeah um how these characters were originally written uh some good insights so far um i think we can just talk about basically what this story is saying which is that essentially that charlotte needs to learn that there's more to life than just pretending to be perfect mm-hmm. and that she'll be able to make more change and more effective change and really have people who genuinely support her if she is genuine herself if she is authentic mm-hmm. and she learns that from fred because fred is despite any other flaws he might have he's always himself he's always honest about who he is exactly yeah. and yeah. he is completely unwilling on compromising for anyone mm-hmm. to change that fact mm-hmm. which is a very it's very admirable that's where us mm-hmm. as an audience start to admire him it's just because we see every single time he's faced with a problem where he could get out of it easily by compromising who he is just to satisfy others he doesn't do it mm. yeah no he's a very strong character you know and i think uh she goes more of an arc than he does probably i think he's able to finally be happy as well i think at one point we hear fred talk to lance and tell him like you know he he he's finally happy and he doesn't he doesn't think he's ever been this happy so you know you find two characters who are 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 finding happiness as well you know they're they're not letting their circumstances sort of stop them anymore i think they find what makes them happy and they start to make that the priority towards the end and we see that as come full circle with her character when she's revealing to him when she's waiting for him in the in the room and he comes in and she has that beautiful sort of um vulnerable moment of expressing that she's scared and then that's how she knows that she she's fallen in love with him because she's feeling all these emotions and she's scared and but she's willing to pretty much risk everything for that and and the ending is also you know your typical sort of i don't know i don't know use the word cheesy but you know it's just very you know she declares her love on national television she does the right thing and it's but it's all done very charming you know it's just one of those rom-com essentials you know love actually also did that very well where you know there's all these like very cheesy moments happening but it's done so charmingly and i'm just wondering it's it's the toughest thing for the writer right yeah to take the audience to the ending they know they're going to get Mm -hmm. but still make them feel like to care might not happen right and for them to still care right um, I th- I think part of how that is done is the risk. So what is mm. the risk to Charlotte's career? Mm. Um, so it's it's very firmly established. Okay, let's look at the the written version first, and then the the later film version to compare those two. Okay. So in Flasky, the risk is that she will one, the world will find out she's having an affair. Mm-hmm. her and her husband are known worldwide 
They're major US politicians. So everyone right. in the world knows about them. So that's one thing she has to lose is to be for this to be revealed. Mm-hmm. Secondly, she she has to sell US intervention as a result of the terrorist attack, mm-hmm. which is something that, again, the times were changing then. This is something that was easier in 2003 than it was in 2011, which is something I think we kind of saw in real life with Hillary Clinton kind of getting involved in the Benghazi stuff. The the situation with the Middle East and and Libya at, at that time, very mm. different to pre-Iraq war right. during the Afghanistan war. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing she has to to compromise on. Mm -hmm. And they have this tape of her. And there's, again, like I said, there's this shaming element to the tape. That it's the woman who is the one who's going to be... What's going to be revealed to the world, right? Is that Mm -hmm. she has a sexual side. That she's, well, that she's cheating on her husband as well. That's what the tape proves. But it's it's also about the fact it will reveal that she loves this guy, Fred Flasky, now. She mm-hmm. doesn't love this supposedly perfect politician husband, although... At that point, he most people know that he's not, but yeah. Yeah, actually, that's true, because they do know he's not a great politician. People know he's not a great politician because he openly celebrated the death of this <laughs> elderly se- senator. <laughs> Which is so public, funny in, so. The, in the script, yeah. Yeah, that, that was an early bit about Kent that, yeah, basically that's kind of why he doesn't appear for like it's it's quite evident that those two can't really stay together but Mm -hmm. anyway she's got a lot to lose basically she can lose her career she does actually lose her career in in the blacklist script and the the ending's much understated yeah but she genuinely does give up politics to be with fred and then kind of decides that she might run for president i like that too you know it's a different ending i think they're both good I think the ending for the film is a little bit more empowering and a little bit more upbeat and positive. And in the script, it's a little bit more, probably a little bit more realistic, a little more subtle because there's this very nice scene at the end where they're in the restaurant and the, the people in the restaurant recognize them and they tell her that they miss her. And so that's, I thought that was like a nice little touch where it's not overdone. You know what I mean? It's just like, it just hints at that, yeah, the it, possibility of coming back. It reminds us of that cost. Mm-hmm. That while these two possibilities exist, there's a choice to be made. Mm-hmm. She could carry on as a politician. She could end her marriage, but she wouldn't get to have Fred in, in the scenario where she stays on mm-hmm. as a politician. And she would have to compromise on her ideals so that that tape doesn't get released. Mm-hmm. So we can compare that to the film version mm-hmm. where... She will have to compromise on her ideals on the environmental bill. Wembley's going to basically kill it. There's this scene where she goes to the Oval Office and Wembley comes through. I think it's a secret door, right? I mm-hmm. think I think Bob Odenkirk even says, you've got to love the secret door. <laughs> yeah. And so Wembley comes in and it's kind of revealed that all along he's been pulling the strings on, mm-hmm. on President Chambers. So she's going to have to compromise on her ideal of the environmental bill. Mm-hmm. They have the tape of Fred. So it's his Fred's personal... It's his webcam's been hacked. Right. 
Uh, so they've got footage of him masturbating to Masturb- yep. not even to porn, but just to her speaking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I found really hilarious. Um, <laughs> but it just shows how much he loves her too. I thought yeah, that was so, done in a very funny and uh, different way. Fred is definitely a lot more endearing all the way through. Yeah, um, the film version. Yeah, yeah. The, that's one thing she still has to lose mm-hmm. is is dignity. But the difference that the film made, I think, significantly is that instead of having to make that choice of one or the other she makes a more empowered choice of well speaking the truth i'm going to speak the truth and no matter what happens from it i'm just gonna go for it and it just so happens in the film that it it worked out for her you know because and i love the little speech that she gives you know she says yeah you know i did this and I just kept, you know, I did this and they're going to, they're trying to blackmail me and this is what's going to be released. And you know what? Yeah, he masturbated, but guess what? Every single one of you do as well. And you know what? Like, you know, it's just like, I loved how she delivered that and the, the writing of that. And I just, it just made me wonder like, what would happen in real life if someone actually did do something that bold? Would the people in real life respond the way they responded in the film or would there be a much more aggressive pushback it's been so long since a politician or many other public figures have been genuinely authentic yeah and i'm 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 trying to say that in the kindest possible way i we just know that there's certain things that just seem to be impossible even though they're not but to say yeah, he masturbates and everyone, and you know what, all of you do too, seems to be career-ending, even though it shouldn't be. <laughs> I know, it, it's it's ridiculous. It's just the the way that the social constructs are right now, and it just kind of cages us. Anyways, that's, a, that's another conversation. But, yeah, but um, it, yeah, it's the parameters yeah. within... Every, everyone has to operate within these parameters of social norms and there's there's something there's something about politicians you know there's something about the fact they always wear suits they always have to look great they always have to say the right thing and when there's a tragedy they have to repeat the one thing they know which would cause the least offense in that moment everyone's sticking to the script yeah no matter if they might personally feel or like their authentic voice might say Mm. we've gone too far with this, we need some new laws to change this particular thing to stop these tragedies happening again. Yeah, The fear of being authentic about that. I think that's a much more powerful political message than anything that they could have done with, with the actual politics of it, with using that presidential character, using Wembley as a character because it goes beyond any specific situation. It goes beyond 2019. It goes beyond 2011. It kind of plants a seed, a what if. Yeah. And you know. and that's also important that that was added into the ending with Fred and Lance talking about the fact that they do have different political beliefs. Yes. And they, that Fred wasn't aware of that because he simply wasn't paying attention to his mm-hmm. own best friend. Yeah, and that's very important as well because it's just a message. It goes beyond that year. It just says it's important that you pay attention to what your friends think is important. It's it's, it's commenting on it yeah. without making it too serious. And I thought that scene was done brilliantly because it was 
just funny enough to make it part, make it feel part of the film and short enough that it didn't feel out of place either. I and, think had yeah. that been more of a subplot, it would have taken away from the from the focus. And not being authentic has upset Lance in that sense. You know, he's felt like he hasn't been able to tell Fred mm. that he's Republican for so long. It's like coming out. Exactly. <laughs> it, it is. And right, he's... Um, right. It's only him to blame as well. He should have told Fred sooner. Mm -hmm. The oh. authenticity message is there, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Right. I really feel like the writers went with, okay, let's just make it, um, and probably maybe Charlie Stern had a say in it as well, since she's playing that character. of Like, well, let's just have him have this very empowered moment that even though, you know, it, it's not as realistic as it is in the original script, at least we can play it out and just kind of, show what could be just like in love actually when you see um you see the prime minister stand up to the president of the united states it's a very fun scene to watch even though part of you is like well that would never happen but it it's great as seeing as how that would play out as a possibility and that's what films are right they're they're fiction and they can take us to this what if place i do think uh charlie's theron really conveyed the vulnerability in that mm -hmm. character so well whilst also maintaining the poise and the posture and uh, the that fits her position and the confidence she needs to display on the outside yeah it's a very difficult role i think and she's so funny yeah. i thought she was she was so funny like her timing's really good you know the when she's coming down from the molly and she's forced to do all these like you know uh talks with uh the the guy holding hostages the hostage and i mean she just plays that that part really well like someone coming off of hard drugs and they're like she she was brilliant or when she's trying to eat the the food you know for away from people that might photograph her eating you know food on a stick i mean she's she was great i don't think she she should do more comedy i feel i think that's it for this film just in summary i th i do think there's a lot more to the script flasky than mm -hmm. you might initially think you you might think it's a a cliched rom-com and actually there's there's a lot of interesting little bits that you can get from from the film and from the script following that delicate balancing act between originality mm -hmm. and cliche mm -hmm. having the story driven by the characters themselves right and having authenticity as a as an important a stage to progress to as mm -hmm. characters i think that is very important and a romance that's based on some genuine building blocks of yes they can establish a relationship that will last because yeah. we know that they're both meeting each other genuinely right from the beginning mm -hmm. being open and honest and still liking each other not trying to hide things not trying to impress the other one and please the other one and hide all their dark sides or dark secrets or just things they're embarrassed about. Fred is completely open about who he is and she still falls in love with him. Which is, uh, well, I, I would think that that is the reason why she does fall in love with him. Is the fact that, you know, he's just authentic. He's truly himself, flaws and everything. Um, I don't really have much to add to that except that, you know, I think for all the listeners out there, I think it's a script worth reading just simply because I think it's just, um, it's its own story, you know, and I think 
I like both the script and the film. And I don't think that's happened in a podcast before that we've done so far. I think I've preferred either one or the other. But this one, I feel they're both equally good. I think they're just uh, they're just a little bit different. But you should definitely read the read the script. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And uh, yeah, our intention is that. In our next episode, we'll be doing a recap of the first 20 yes. that we've done so far. So it'll be a, a nice discussion, spoiler-free, of course, so that we can really share what we've been doing for the, the last year. Spoiler-free. So, gotcha. Yeah. So we, it'll just be a lot of opinions yeah, instead of going in depth. We will have a, uh, a, a discussion of a, what's the most shocking and best ending to a film <laughs> just in case it would reveal too many spoilers that is true okay cool thanks again for listening to another episode of the 21st rewrite if you found this episode useful please do subscribe rate and review on itunes and most importantly recommend the show to any friends who you think might enjoy it or benefit from it we'll be seeing you in two weeks as usual goodbye